Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good. You look good. You're in a different oh, place, I can see, because you don't have yeah. the uh, normal setup matching uh, background for <laughs> the show or whoever we happen to be highlighting. Where are you? I'm currently in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. All right. Um, you carrying a gun? <laughs> Two. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good answer. Good answer. Very good answer. I know. I know. Our producer Robbie is still in Australia. He's been there for a minute. Um, couple and weeks. He's, he's carrying a. He's carrying a boomerang. Yeah. Yeah. And and he <laughs> and he hasn't spotted Jeff Horn yet. Um, Mm-mm. no Jeff Horn spottings yet, you know. He's hiding. He knows Horn's looking for him down there. No, oh. he told me he's like <laughs> uh, Horn. Yeah, no Horn. Look, Horn had his moment, right? He he yeah. got that gift against Pacquiao, but he fought gallantly, and um, and then he he got the uh, not so good gift against Crawford, which was all part of the yep. plan with his. His promoter there at the moment, uh, Aaron, was all part of the plan, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Without going deeper, that's for the that's for the real fans out there that that can think beyond, uh, you know, the obvious. Or, or actually, the better way to say it, the more accurate way to say it, Ken, is for the fans out there that can see the obvious and are willing exactly to see right. it. Quite frankly. But um, let's get to it. Yeah, we'll jump right in. Jump right in with the boxing from the zone this weekend, and then we'll hit the UFC at the end. So if you're here for UFC, stick around. Yep. Um, let's start with the boxing. Edgar Belang, Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Belanga uh, gets a six-round knockout over Padraig McCrory. He looked strong. He looked powerful. The knockout was vicious. They eventually threw in the towel as McCrory gallantly tried to get back to his feet. But, man... That punch was, you couldn't put more power into it. He stepped and like threw this overhand right. And all I could think was, man, how is, how is McCrory even getting back up? Uh, awesome punch for him. Curious to hear your thoughts on all this talk around Berlanga getting Canelo next. Like, I just don't see it. I don't even think they're in the same stratosphere. No disrespect to Berlanga, but I can't even imagine that he goes rounds with Canelo is like another level entirely. First of all, what did you think of the fight? Well, no, I'm going to answer that part first. What you just said, okay. because I'm going to piggyback off that. Because I'm glad you set it up the way you did. Um, because that's the way you feel. That's the way that a lot of people, I would think, feel. And um, yeah. so I'm going to jump right off that. That's exactly why I'm predicting Canelo will pick him as the next opponent. So there, you have it on our show. Um, I'm sure Rob will probably highlight that somewhere. But I'm predicting that if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. All right. But I'm predicting that uh, Canelo will now, you know, he made a point of saying it will not be a Mexican. Well, okay. Belanga is uh, is Puerto Rican. So obviously that uh, that he would he would be within the selection process the way that Canelo put it out there as far as who he was saying it could not be. And uh, because he's still not ready for Canelo, I don't believe, 
That's exactly why Canelo will take him. He's got an attractive record. He's coming off a sensational knockout, as you just said, very abundantly, very properly, uh, very clearly. Um, I think Canelo will, you know, will say, okay, this is perfect, you know, uh, and, and he'll jump in there. Uh, because Canelo does that. He fights a lot of guys that are not ready for prime time or, or past prime time. You know, he made one mistake with Bevo. I don't think he's looking to make another mistake, uh, quite frankly. So that's my prediction off of that. As far as Edgar Belanga, where is he going? Where's he been? How'd he get there? How'd he look against McCrory from across the pond? Uh, are you guys tired across the pond of having your guys fed as opponents where you, <laughs> you come up second all the time? Are you tired of that? All right. Did I earn my crumpets by saying that? Or uh, they've been taken away from me by saying, look, you, you've had great fighters. I, you know, I, I josh you. I josh you. Right? You know that. But um, I josh with you. But, yeah, there's some truth to it. There's some some truth to it, uh, you know. Look at Canelo's record; he fought a lot of you guys. Look at look at Triple G's record; you know, terrific fighters. But they they on the on the resume of guys they knocked off, <laughs> a lot of guys across the pond. It's not like I'm talking out of school here. Um, that it, that there's not some credence to what I say for the reason I say it, and a lot of people wouldn't say it, but. Look, Belanga was 16-0. He was built up. I thought he was built up the wrong way and the right way. The right way to get people's attention. The wrong way to develop. Because you you, yes. you give a guy cannon fodder, and let's be honest. Come on, 16-0, 16 first-round knockout, cannon fodder. And then, you know what? You go to fire the cannon, and the cannon fires a blank. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you got to be careful with that stuff, fellas. Um I think I know how to develop a fighter. One quick thing along those lines, he's also showed a tremendous weakness of character in biting an opponent. I mean, you have to be in a dark place emotionally in the in terms of where you're at in the fight to bite somebody. Yeah, very and, fair. Uh, very and, fair. And that and that could be part of the part of the lack of development is that he's in there with eat with cannon fodder, and the minute he gets some resistance. He doesn't know how to react, and he acts out by biting the guy. Well, listen, it's very unfortunate. No, no, listen, very, very fair and good observation, and and truthful. Um, you have to wonder about his mental stability, his mental resiliency, his mental toughness. Um, that that a guy would go there like a Tyson did. Tyson went there to get out of the fight with Holyfield, all right? He didn't go there because of the streets. He didn't go there because he was hungry and he wanted a snack, you know, even though you can get uh, Holyfield bites now, gummies, gummies, gummy bites. <laughs> what is this world coming to? What is this world coming to? We're trying to keep it together. We're doing our best to keep the world together here and it's just crumbling in front of us. Um, Ken, you know, yeah. it's not easy. It's not easy. Show those guns again. Show those guns again. Show, show those guns. Yeah, we need them. We need those guns <laughs> to try to do the human's work that we're doing here. We're living in a real-life simulation of the emperor has no clothes in that we can all see what's going on, even with, like, the political environment. But, however, if you dare to speak up about something that doesn't go along with the mainstream narrative, whatever it may be, whatever your views are, 
If you say your beliefs and they don't align with the populace or, or the mainstream, they will tear you down at any cost. They'll, they'll shit can you. They'll cancel you. They'll destroy your life because you have a different view. This used to be like free speech rules. Anyway, I digress. But- uh, not anymore. No, 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 no. It's fair. Hey, look, not anymore. That's why you got to have guns. Um, really, and you have to have guts to say what you believe, and you got to be ready to be canceled if you say it. Um, you know, I mean, we're living in that kind of world right now. Look, there's one thing that you could cancel the crap out of me. I'm not going to ignore the fact that, you know, <laughs> that we're living in a scary time, and yep. I'm scared for my grandchildren. And we're good. Look, anytime you're living in a place where suddenly it became okay to rob people, to violate people, to go into a, to a person's store uh, that has worked his whole life, maybe from nothing, most likely from nothing, to have something for his family, and he earnestly works to do that and sacrifices to do, and you're allowed to go in there and violate him and steal his merchandise as long as it's under $1,000. Uh, uh, you know, call me psycho. <laughs> call me psycho, if you will, but that's crazy. Um, that That's absurd. That's, uh, that, that uh, I mean, that's just not, you know, I mean, that's, uh, now you're messing around with the realm of civilization. Now you're starting to mess around with that realm a little bit. Uh, you're going to call yourself civilized uh, when, when you would think that's okay to do somebody and then not hold someone accountable for it. And not, not to mention that, you know, uh, that there's people murdering people at higher numbers than ever, raping, assaulting, slashing. What about the kids who, uh, what about the illegal immigrants that uh, attacked the police officers in Times Square recently and were let out of jail without bail? When you're caught on video, usually, look, the bail system exists because in our system, you're innocent until proven guilty. So theoretically, everyone should get bail unless you commit a crime so egregious on tape and it's so overwhelmingly obvious that you're going to be found guilty, in which case then, Bail is either astronomically high or revoked altogether. But these guys walk right out, no bail, caught on camera, hitting police officers and allowed to walk free. Unless, anyway, again, uh, no, no, I digress. <laughs> no, but that's got to be allowable, Ken, if you're going to live in a lawless society. But we didn't think we were in a lawless society. It seems like we're either there or we're very, we're creeping closer and closer to it. But but it would seem like we're, we're it would seem like we're, perilously close to it if we're not there. You know, a lawless society. Um, you know, a, a society where anything's allowed, you're allowed to treat your human beings in a way that we never thought, and, and most of us still think it's not allowable. But yep. the people that are supposedly in charge of making decisions on accountability have suddenly taking a different stance and and look it, right. it leads to something the crime's up everywhere everywhere you look you don't want to watch the news i never thought i'd become one of those people i i don't want to watch the news no more you know you hear those people ken you know that i can't watch the news no more and i didn't think i'd become one of them i'm i'm I, i'm becoming one of them <laughs> you know i don't want to hide from it i don't want to be an ostrich but i i it's like hard. Yep. It's hard to watch it. That's right. When when you when you think of that, whoever thought that 
those old, everyone knows I'm a movie buff. Everyone knows that I love to use movies, you know, to to chronicle things that are going on in real life, to parallel things that are going on in real life, right? Because movies do. Yep. They do. Whoever thought, whoever thunk it, right, that that old movie, what was it, 40 years ago, Ken, whatever it is, um, I'm trying to remember the at the time he was the, you know, he was, he was the guy that did a lot of the action movies. Um, what the heck was his name? Was it Kurt Russell? It might have been Kurt Russell. I'm not sure. Bruce Willis? No, I think it was Kurt Russell. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, Bruce Willis. This was before Bruce Willis. Anyway, the name of the movie was Escape from New York, where they they basically put a wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they put a wall around New York and basically made it a giant, uh, you know, prison asylum. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, where everything was allowed, everything went. No, no rules, no laws. You know, everything allowed. Look, let me let me escape from that for a minute and get back to boxing. You made a good point, Belanga, where he bit somebody. Um, that is, look, that's usually a sign. Like I was touching on earlier, when Tyson did it, was to get out. It's not to be more vicious. It's you know it's usually a sign. the The mildest word I could use for that is frustration, but you could also, as fair to put in weakness. There's a component of it that that's weak, that of of your makeup that's weak, and you rather than face what you got to face in a way that you know we believe you need to face things, whether out in life, whether in a ring, that you need to face it head on, even if. Uh, it's very difficult, especially when it's difficult to face. That that's the test of one's character, and when you deviate from that, uh, facing it in a way that uh, most people face things and and is expected to face things. When you deviate from that, you're escaping. You're showing a weakness, and he also showed a little bit of that in the McQuarrie fight uh, he, when he threw the elbow. See, you know, you, yep. he, he threw an elbow on the inside when he hadn't been in control of the fight uh, yet. And that was along those lines. It shows that a guy hasn't developed yet in the area where he completely can depend on himself. Not on other things to help himself, but he can depend on himself to be strong. Not on finding something outside the realm to make him strong that's outside the realm. That's not allowable. And that's what that showed for people that understand it. People that don't understand it, hey, I'm not going to go on another hour to try to you know, educate you today. The classroom's not open for that today. The professor's not available for that today for that longer period of time. All I'd say is when you let a guy, when you purposely go and get 16 opponents where your guy can knock them all out in the first round so you can start 16-0, and 0, you're doing three things. One, you're bringing attention, which you want. You're doing the Mike Tyson thing. You want people, you want to separate yourself from the pack. And there's a lot of good fighters out there at 160, 168. So you want to separate, and young ones, you want to separate yourself from all of them. And you do. What you also do is you set yourself up for problems in other ways, you set which they went through. You set yourself up for where, when you finally step up in competition, which after 16 fights, they did with Balaga, 
you're not going to knock guys out like that. And you're going to get five straight decisions, which I think was good for him, without a knockout, and then people are going to get down on him. Just the way they got up on him when they saw 16 straight knockouts in first round, now they're going to get down on him. And people were down on him. Oh, this guy ain't nothing, this guy, which is not fair, but it's the reaction. You could expect it. Oh, that's not fair. Uh, This isn't, you know, he's not that guy. Of course he wasn't that guy. Most people aren't that guy. Of course it was smoke and mirrors to a certain degree. You know, of course there was a little, uh, of course there was a little David Copperfield uh, stuff mixed in there, sleight of hand uh, with the opponents. But he took his criticism, and I think that it served him well. First of all, when he got his five straight decisions, he started learning the things that he should have been learning in his first 16 fights. You know, how to how to be steady, how to control himself, how to depend on himself, you know, how to use his other tools other than land a punch and go home. And so he started, he started to get the lessons in those five fights that, you know, he didn't get for the first 16 fights. And valuable lessons valuable, valuable experience that has served him. I think he's developed. I think he's gotten better. Like Munguia. Munguia, Munguia is still a work in progress. He's got a world title, world titles. He's got 40, almost 50 fights. He's still a work in progress. still raw. I actually think Belanga is more developed, more polished in those areas of, of technique than Munguia is. That, that's interesting. I, I would have thought the exact opposite. I'm curious to hear your not thoughts mentally, on that. Because, not mentally. Yeah. Mentally, he's not right. as developed as McGee. McGee is becoming a beast. He, he's really together mentally. He's got a hell of a chin. Um, but McGee is not as developed or polished, the word I used, from a technical standpoint. Um, as a, you know, He's not as sophisticated in that realm as... McGee as um as Belanga is. And but the most important realm, Ken, is to get developed in a mental realm. And that's, that's where right. Belanga still has to develop. But he has gotten better. Uh those five fights have done its job to develop him. But they also picked the right guy. I felt I said it on Pro Box, the show that I do with the former world champions, really smart guys, Paulie Malinaji. And, and Chris Algieri, I do that once a week, where I, I predicted, we all made our predictions, they all picked McCrory too. I, I mean, they all picked McCrory to lose. And, and to, I picked, and which they all did the same thing, I picked McCrory to break the, the, the string of, of not having a knockout for Belanga. I thought Belanga would finally end the drought, the knockout drought um, with McCrory. I just felt that McCrory was vulnerable in that area. He's 35 years old. He's getting his first really big fight. Um, I've seen him hurt. His his one big fight before this was against a a fellow Englishman of, 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 you know, whether it was Irish or English, it don't matter, um, from the United Kingdom. I'm trying to remember his name right now, but solid guy, but a guy who he beat, but who heard him in a fight. And when I watched the tape, he heard him on the inside, and I realized McCrory's not a good inside fighter. 
He's mostly a fighter on the outside, looks to land the big right hand, use the jab, get separation. You know, a game guy, tough guy, but was vulnerable, and especially on the inside. I thought that Belanga would have an opportunity to hurt him on the inside, which it turned out he did. And, and, and like I said, end the drought of not having a knockout. But I, th- I also felt that when he was getting those 16 straight one-round knockouts, that you run the risk, as I said, of not learning the things technically you need to use and learn to fight the better fighters. Um, also, like I said, you get give people an excuse to get down on you. Oh, now he's fighting. He's not knocking Owen out, which happened. And he, and the kid had to deal with that. I think it depressed him a little bit. He got through it. Good for him. But the mental realm, like I touched on and you touched on, Ken, the most important realm, that you stagnate in that realm. When there's no resistance, you don't learn how to deal with resistance. You know, and that's what life's about. Forget about boxing, life, dealing with resistance. You know, I have a saying in boxing. I said it on the Joe Rogan show years ago, where a fight's not a fight until there's something to overcome. And I stick by that saying. A fight's not, up to then it's an athletic venture. It's an exhibition of sorts. But same thing with life, whatever you go through. Life is not a fight. Boxing is not a fight. A fight is not a fight to there's something to overcome. Then you find out what kind of fighter you are or if you're a fighter. Then you get tested. And everyone gets tested eventually in some phase, in some form. Friendship gets tested. You know, loyalty gets tested. Uh, you know, toughness gets tested. You know, talent gets tested. You know, uh, uh, your word gets tested. Everything gets tested sooner or later. So are you ready for that test? And again, the only way you get ready for that test is going through experiences of dealing with resistance, having to deal in levels, in levels with overcoming. And that's why I like to give a guy, you know, I do what everyone else does and give guy easy fights on the way up, build their record, build their confidence. But then don't go too long because then at some point you're not doing a service because when the moment comes that the devil's going to knock at the door, you ain't going to be ready for that knock. You ain't going to be ready. And the devil's knocking at the door. Always. Sooner or later, he knocks at that freaking door. And... You, your job as a trainer, as a manager, promoter, is to get him ready for that knock. And the first 16 fights didn't do that. The next five helped him. And now he'll continue on that path. I, I like Belanga. He's not the puncher that the first 16 fights made him out to be. He's not that. Um, somebody might say, well, Ty- they did the same thing with Tyson. Yes, yes. But Tyson was that puncher. He he was that puncher. You know, yeah, he was knocking out sub-level guys. But then when he got in there with some better guys, he still was knocking them out. He still had the power. His problem was he didn't develop emotionally and mentally for the resistance when he finally ran into somebody he could knock out. That was his problem. 
But he did pretty damn good, right? He's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. He did pretty damn good. At the end of the day, Belanga can do pretty damn good. I don't think he's ready for the top guys yet. One of them being Canelo. Obviously, Benavides would be the other. There's a there's a few of them I could go through. I don't think he's... I think he needs a couple more fights. Let him mature a little more. Let him find himself a little more. Let him know he can depend on himself a little more. Let him become more consistent. What do you think about this? If you're if you're making the decisions or if you're in charge of deciding what he does next, would you it would be hard, I would imagine, to turn down let's I'm I'm making up ten million to fight Canelo. What do you do in that case? Do you take the money or do you push for a potential to meet him later and down the road and potentially win? Or do you take the money knowing that it's too soon? I get asked to go to colleges, pro, the NFL. I get asked to talk. I talk to NFL teams. I talk to different different pro teams and other, you know, amateur teams. and um, But all different levels. And I'm fortunate enough they asked me to speak on pretty high levels. I get asked to speak to top college teams. And this is going to answer your question, I think, in the in a f- most practical, fairest way you can with common sense. I'd love to say, oh, no, you wait a little longer. And as a trainer, I would say that. I would say we wait a little longer, and then when we get that shot, we're going to be ready for it. Instead of not ready for it, maybe have a bad a bad experience. It's also the truth that, you might not get that shot. You might, you know, you might improve, but that shot might not be available for that kind of money. So you have to weigh those things. There's, there's no doubt. You have to weigh those things. And the reason I bring up when I get asked to speak at these college teams at a high level is they go through the same thing where sometimes a kid who's a freshman or a sophomore, whatever it is, um, very talented, but maybe not quite ready for the pro. Maybe another year would serve him. But he's getting a chance to make, you know, huge amounts of money, sobering amounts of money, tens of millions. And so he'll go to the coach if he has that kind of relationship with the coach, just like you might go to the trainer. And he will say, Coach, what should I do? You know, a lot of people tell me to turn pro, and I'm not sure. Um, What should I do? Should I stay another year? And the coach knows that other year will help him. But he also knows that that other year, he could get hurt. He could get injured. And when, uh, when it's over, that opportunity to get drafted the way that it is laying there waiting for him with the money that's with it might not be there. So the coach tells him, go pro. Because you know what? Why did you come to this school? Yeah, you came to get smarter, but you came to play ball and eventually get to the NBA at these levels. Yeah, along the way, you hoped you get your academic degree, all that, but we're talking real truth here. You, you came so you'd have a chance to develop your abilities to the highest possibility so you could someday change your life 
and the trajectory of yours and your family's lives by going into the NBA. Not many people get that chance. You have it. You've accomplished what you want to accomplish. That's why you came here. You have that chance. Take it. By not taking it, we are taking a chance of throwing away that chance. So it's a tough thing. As a trainer, again, you want to be very honest. Uh, try to be as honest. You want to be honest. But it's hard sometimes. I love to tell you that, hey, yeah, you know, I tell them, no, you're still not ready. And I don't want to see you have that that fall, that fell. I think that if we wait a little longer, you'll be ready. But, yeah, you might be ready, but th- that 10 million or whatever it is might not be there. So, you know what? Most likely, you take the fight. Um, not just for yourself. I know there some people say, yeah, sure, you want that 10%. <laughs> All right. But, no, I, I think I can honestly say, well, I know I can, whether people believe it or not, I don't care. That's, that's always up to the individual. But uh, I can say that money has not forced me to make those decisions when I think that it should be an alternative decision. Um, and in many cases throughout my life and career so far. Well, I can say that having been around you in multiple different situations, business, professional, athletic, etc. <laughs> if someone asked me, would Teddy do this for money? I would say he'd probably t- take death versus compromising his integrity for money. So I can, I can vouch for you. I know for a fact that you wouldn't take money. I've seen you turn down a lot of money. I just think that at the end of the day, we're all human. We get tempted by it, but then what we do is what we is is, is you know, uh, obviously is locked into what we are and what we want to be, what we do. But but we're all tempted to do it. I mean, we wouldn't be human. We all want to do that. I want to do that. But at the end of the day, I also want to have, you know, I also want to have a comfortable reputation of myself. You said something. You said something recently when you were losing weight, and it and it and it stuck with me. And I think about it frequently whenever a tough decision comes up. You said when I'm trying to lose weight, I think about how am I going to feel as soon as I'm done eating this. And I think about that so often, especially after dinner. If my kids are like, "Dad, can we have cake and desserts?" Usually for the kids, if they've if they've trained that day, like it played sports or something, or they've been active, I say yes. But for myself, I think, yeah, I want that. But I know that if I eat it, then I'm going to immediately look at my wife and be like, why'd you let me eat that? And she'll be like, I told you not to. But I think about what you said, and it and it, it works. I just think, how am I going to feel when it's done? I'm not going to feel good. I'll just change, think about something else and get my mind off this obsession with sweets, for instance. But I think that works for everything. Taking money for a shit job, you're like, yeah, I'll have the money, but I, I'll have to know that forever that I took that even though it went against my like integrity or it went a better judgment. There's certain things that just, I don't know, they have a longer shelf life. Yeah. And and money for me doesn't have the longest shelf life. Yep. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. You need it, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but it doesn't have the longest. What has a long shelf life is the way you feel about yourself. And money can't, That's exactly buy, right. money can't buy that back for you. Money emphasizes whatever you have. You're a good person, the money will emphasize that. If you have character flaws, that money is going to expose those character flaws. And we all know people with money that are cool and other people that are complete jerks. I mean, look, at the end of the day, 
we all weigh where we want to be and we, we make that choice and that decision. But, um, you know, I, I want, <laughs> money can't make your family feel proud of you. Some people might laugh and say, oh, yes, it can. No, it'll make them feel um, fortunate and, and, you know, they can also be proud of the way you made it and how hard you worked to make it. But the only th thing that I think can really truly make your family proud is knowing that you're a person, you're just a person that makes decisions based on really, you know, based on things more important sometimes than money, that, that, are, that are based on, we all make mistakes, but that you try to make decisions based on ultimately what betters you as a person and what betters the people around you. Um, you, you, you know, and, and look, sometimes you got to make a decision to make money to better the people around you. But you try to make those decisions understanding that, as you said, you know, you want to feel right about it the next day and many days afterwards. Uh, That's right. You know, you want to feel right. You want to try to make decisions based that you can believe in later on. You can continue to believe in. Uh, and ultimately, if you use that metric, you're usually doing pretty good. If you use that scale to weigh things um, or that method, you usually be in a pretty good place that, you know, like I said, I can only speak for myself. I've, I've walked away from a lot of money, but I've still been fortunate. I've taken care of my family and I have, I have, a, I have, I have something that money can't buy at the end of the day. I, I have their, their respect. And, um, you know, I, I think you earn that. You earn that in different ways. And um, sometimes the way you earn it is is definitely not attached to just uh, making money. But uh, it's it's sometimes can be the antithesis of that. It can be the exact opposite of that. So as far as the fight goes, for, for Belanga, I... He, to me, there's two parts of his, two parts of him from an offensive standpoint that are his strengths. And he's got to use one of them a lot more, his jab. He's got a good, straight, hard jab. He doesn't use it enough. When he uses it, it makes a big difference. It sets up his right hand, like most fights. It sets up his left hook. It sets everything up. Um... And it keeps the opponents from getting into a rhythm. You know, it keeps them from really getting, you know, getting their motor going, so to speak. His jab is, again, it's accurate, it's hard, it's, uh, it's nice and straight. He, he, he needs to use that more. I, I like, I think he's developed, like I said, in a way where he's pretty defensively responsible. Um... He controls range pretty well. 
He goes to the body well. I love the way he goes to the body. He goes to the body. He throws something. He throws a nice left hook to the body that made a big difference in the fight. Big, big, big difference. But he also throws a beautiful right, counter right uppercut to the body that he didn't get a chance to use too much. But he does it really well. It's a counter right uppercut. Um, He was reaching it a little bit early in the fight. It took him a while to kind of get his bearing and get himself together. But he was reaching in. That reaching in in those spots, that could be the end of the night against Canelo or against those level fighters. Uh, that's why I used the word before Kenwood. I would wait till he's a little more consistent in the areas that he has to be consistent. More maturity, but also more consistency in those areas where he's not reaching in, um, where he's using his jab, where he's closing the gaps, uh, you know, in a... Pr- appropriate way um where he doesn't have those moments he had a couple rounds there you know like i said that it it took him a you know it took him a little while to get to the right place and he might not get that chance to get to that right place against the top guys um at the end of the day i he got the job done he got what he wanted he got what eddie hearn is his promoter wanted, you know, he got that, you know, he he got that ESPN highlight clip, that, you know, when they used to put on the highlights on ESPN all the time. I don't know if they still do that, but he got that highlight clip, uh, and and that's great. I don't know that it's going to do him a lot of good when he fights someone like Canelo or Benavides or you know those kind of guys. I don't think they're going to be uh, spending a lot of time being uh, awed by the highlight clip, but it did the job they wanted to do. Uh, It it made him, again, a guy that's now being talked about in the junior middleweights. Uh, It's making him, you know, a legitimate player now uh, where they can do what they have to do from their end. Like I said, my prediction is Canelo probably, I I think, I have no news that he's doing it. But I think I would not, I would, I'd be less than shocked. I, I, I'd almost be shocked if Canelo didn't say, yeah, I want Belaga now. For the reasons I said at the very outset. Um, yeah. Because he realizes he still needs more time. And Well, I think especially considering Canelo's now out with PBC, that's, he's done with that relationship. Sounds like PBC has got some real problems, financial or otherwise, and uh, Berlanga would make perfect sense given that he, Canelo probably goes back to Eddie Hearn in the zone. Yeah, I mean, I think that all plays. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, Canelo is getting closer to the exit. Um, you know, he's not... He's been around since what, fifteen, sixteen? He turned pro. Been a, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's been around. What's he? Crazy. Still fairly young. What, thirty-four, somewhere in that area. Um, he he's been around a long, long time. Um, sooner or later, you gotta walk off to the sunset. He's got enough money to last for twenty lifetimes. You know, thirty-three years old. He's thirty-three. So, uh, you gotta start making your plans. Uh, you know, for after boxing and when it's time to get out and try to get out the right time. Not everyone does. You want to be one of the guys to get out the right time. Uh, does he, you know, does he fight Benavides? Does he, does he look for that fight? Does he look for possibly 
really going towards greatness and look for the dust to settle in the light heavyweight division. You know, he went up there once, he got burnt, he lost, but does he wait for the dust to settle there against Betterbeev and Bevo a little bit and and then take on the winner there? I mean, that, you know, that would be, that would be, uh, that would be somebody's looking to really stamp their legacy. Not that he doesn't have a great legacy already, but really, really put yourself in Mount Rushmore, uh, you know, of of fighters to be able to do something like that and of Mexican fighters. So anyway, uh, Belanga's, Belanga's in a mix. Uh, do a countdown to Canelo calls him out. One one other thing that I just wanted to throw in there, Ken. He he made this statement, you know, it won't be a Mexican. So if we hold him on that truth, you know, um, for my pick would be Belanga, as I as I already pointed out, uh, and why. But bef- it's funny thing because just a week or two ago, maybe whatever it was, a few weeks ago, I was thinking that. I could see it being Munguia for the same reason that I see it being Belanga. Because Munguia, I think, as I pointed out, I, I like Munguia. But he's still raw in some areas. He's still a work in progress. He still needs to get a little polishing, if you will. But he's got 40-something fights. You know, he's undefeated. Uh, does he have a title now? I don't even know if he has a title now. But it, he had a title right? Then I think he's won two titles. You look it up, Ken. How many titles? I, I I don't think he's got a title right now, but, you know, he's just coming off a win, um, another win, obviously, and I could see he's still vulnerable. It, it would be a, a fight that people wouldn't mind watching, even though a lot of people are going to be down on whoever Canelo fights if it's not a Benavides, and I don't blame him. Because I want Benavides too. Like Benavides is being forced to go up to light heavyweight now, which I don't necessarily think is the greatest move for him, but I get it. He's a fighter, and he's he wants to fight. And if he can't get what he wants, and he cares about his legacy, he cares about proving he's the best. And if he can't get what he needs or wants at super middleweight, he'll go to light heavyweight and take that risk because he believes in himself. And again, he... He's, he wants to show that he wa- he'll fight the best. And he wants to fight the best. That's the thing. But if Canelo... Again, if Canelo... He, he said that he it's not a Mexican. But I had thought that it would be Munguia before he said that. Uh, again, I'll stick with Belanga for the reasons I, I said. Belanga's coming off a sensational win. He's still green enough where Canelo figures I have... A big edge on him, and at the same time, it'll be a sellable fight, um, you know, uh, for for all those reasons. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure that that's happening. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Chakram Giasov against Pablo Caesar Cano, cagey old veteran, thirty-five nine and one. Somewhat uninspiring, I think, performance from Giasov, considering all the hype around him. He had Cano hurt early in, the, uh, I think, the third round. Other than that, I thought it was like somewhat lackluster. I, I would have expected more from Giasov given all the hype, but uh, 
Eventually, Cano twists his ankle in the 11th round and can't continue, so they go to the scorecards. Important to note, five years ago, Cano knocked out Jorge Linares. He's, like, been around, been in with some tough guys, so maybe I'm being too harsh with Giasov to think he was going to just blast him out of there, but what do you think of both guys? No, it all came down to styles. You know, it was a style matchup. Cano, uh, perfect style in some ways for Giasov, where... He's older, but he's plotting. He's one-dimensional. He's a tough guy. He's trying to come in the front door. Um, again, in a very predictable, one-dimensional way. Uh, no knock on Cano. That's his style. And Gia Shaw did what a smart fighter you know, should do. He, uh, and what his style would mandate he had to do, which was control the outside and kind of punch the crap out of Cano when he tried to get in, use his jab, keep separation, uh, basically do what I used to say all the time what I on, on ESPN when, I, when you got those kind of style matchups. Charge the guy who's trying to get in for real style, real estate. You know, make him pay for real estate. Instead of paying in monetary terms, make him pay in punches. Make him pay combinations to try to make up three feet of real estate. He wants to make up three, four feet. You know, make him pay with six punches. Um, and that's what Gia Shaw was doing. He was controlling the outside, uh, forcing Cano to pay a price to get close to him. As you touched on, he, he scored a knockdown early in the fight or earlier in the fight with a nice left hook to the body. Really a, a, a perfectly placed left hook to the body, uh, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, he, he was in control of the pace and rhythm of the fight. Pretty much I caught the fight a little late, but from what I saw, uh, pretty much all night, he was, he was in control of the fight. And like I said, the, the rhythm of the fight. Uh, beautiful left hook to the body uh, early in the fight. Um, I thought that um, I thought he may have escaped. It's funny. He he got you know he got credit for the left hook. He scored a knockdown. I mean, how could he not get credit uh, early in the fight with the beautiful left hook to the body? Uh, Gia Shaw scored. I thought he might have escaped or have escaped a knockdown on the other side, where Cotto might have actually scored a knockdown where he hit him a right hand. One of those sneaky, almost difficult right hands where you're in a clinch and then the guy, you know, uh, he didn't hit him during the break, but he hits him one of those sneaky little shots uh, during the clinch. And then and then Cotto pushed him a little bit after hitting him with the right hand. The right hand was on the chin. It was clean. And... After he pushed him, Gearshaw went down, and the, the referee caught it a slip. I thought it easily could have been ruled a knockdown. So he might have escaped a, a little bit of a, of a moment there for what it's worth. But again, uh, pretty much all one-way traffic, Gearshaw, from what I saw. Yep, uh, agreed. Um <clears throat> The last boxing match we want to cover is uh, former Olympic champ Andy Cruz gets the uh, one-sided decision over Brian Zamaripa. 
Uh, third fight for Cruz, runs his record to 3-0. and Zamaripo has been around for a little while, goes to 14-3, and but only with five knockouts, so clearly not a puncher there. Um, interesting that this kid Cruz has the has, had a win over uh, Keyshawn Davis for the Olympic gold medal. Uh, now training in Philly with um, the Boots Ennis camp. Uh, kid looks really good. What'd you think of the performance? I was torn because on one hand he would like took he, he did everything he wanted to, but I was thinking he probably if for his skill level should have got him out of there. What was your take? Yeah, I disagree. I think that he's two and all. He he's like a prodigy, like three, a three now, three and zero. Well, yeah, no, uh, yeah, third, going third. in two and zero. So he was yeah, two and zero going in, no problem. He was two and go oh going in, right? And what's he do? He fights a guy with sixteen pro fights, and he goes ten rounds. You know what? I give him credit for that. I'm I I don't think that it's any disappointment at all. I think it's only really only accolades for him because again, you you got to judge everything on its merit. Uh, you got to look, you know, uh, you got you got to look sometimes uh, a, a little bit deeper, and not that deep. Again, uh, you you forget that you see him in a ten round fight. You say, oh, he could have done it. He's fighting a guy in Zamaripa, uh, who's first of all he's a southpaw. Second of all, he's got he's fourteen and two, and you know with all that experience. And he's jumping right into a ten round fight, so that's yeah. that's impressive, uh, and it's so impressive that I start to put him in the category or the company. I have to think about it at least of phenoms, even prodigies, if you want to go down that road and use those kind of terms uh, that come around, you know, only at certain times, and. I think about Lomachenko. I think about Rigondeau. I think about David Morrell, who's there right now. And these are guys who won world titles after two, three, four fights, whatever it was, um, after a couple of fights. I think Cruz, two, he's 3-0 and now. Yep. I, he's he's going to go in their company. I think he's going to have a chance to join that elite company and win a world title after... I don't know, maybe another two fights, maybe after three, four fights, um, five fights. That's extraordinary. And you don't see too many guys like that. Even fighting 10 rounds in his third fight well, that's, is completely I mean, out of the ordinary. Yeah, and you look at Morrell. Morrell was fighting 12-round fights after like, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but after three fights, yeah. four fights, yeah, uh, and, and, now, so crazy. and now Morrell's like 10-0 and 0 and he's already been a world champion for a minute. Um, yeah. Look, these are special guys that can do this. And I don't think it's a coincidence when I look at Rigondeau, I look at Morrell, that I look at the similarities. First of all, Rigondeau and Morrell both came from Cuba. That's not an accident. I mean, they, they developed great amateurs over there because, first of all, they have a great system, a great program, but we always... Talk about you have to have hunger. You have to have, right, Ken? You have to have the kids yep. that come from the hungriest places. You, you, you got to have, you got to have a certain urgency. You got to have a certain drive that that's beyond your talent, beyond your talent. That 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 drives you. That that not everyone would be driven to the same level. Well, when you come from that island, Cuba, from a communist country where, you know, 
<laughs> you don't have a chance to really earn much there. Um, you, you don't have a chance to do the things you have in this beautiful country when you're born here. And you have to escape it. And you have to go on a raft quite often in shark-infested waters to get to a place where you can achieve those things. And you're willing to do that? Well, you're, <laughs> you, you have a better chance of being successful. And if you have talent on top of it, and it's been developed for years since you were a little kid uh, in, in the program that they do in Cuba... You have, a, you have a real good chance of being special. Um, and that's what they do. These guys, they defect. They come here to this great country where now their talent can't be properly rewarded. The similarities, I, I started looking at it. They're, they're all, I mean, Lomachenko, of course, you know, he came from the Ukraine, another tough place. But Rigondeau, Morale come from Cuba where you have to escape to have a chance to have a pro career. They do. And they did. And they were all great amateurs. I mean, Lomachenko was a two-time gold medalist, which is very rare. Uh, Rigondeau was also a two-time gold medalist. I believe he was a two-time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He was a two-time gold medalist. Um, Cruz is a one-time gold medalist. Uh, there's, there's so many similarities. Um, you, you can't ignore them. I think that he's he set himself up to have those kind of careers. Uh, you know, he's another he's he's another one of those special phenoms that, in this case, come from Cuba. Um, so. I, I, for me, the question now is, when does he fight for the world title? Like, is it in less fights than Regan Diaw and 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 Lomachenko and Morel? That that to me, I, I start to think that when, what point does he fight for the world title? Does people feel that he can he can do that? And the spot is the right spot. And that you know he can win it. I'm I'm interested to see that. He seems like a nice kid. Uh, my friend who lives in Miami knows him, Pedro Martinez Fraga, the great lawyer. Um, he knows him. He knows somebody that works for him that comes from the same tiny little town in Cuba that this kid comes from. He says the kid's a good kid. So I'm going by that. I don't know the kid, but he says he's a good kid. He's a good humble kid, you know, and um. I, I I like what I saw. I like I like uh the way he conducted himself uh after the fight. Uh I do think there's things that he can work on. Look, I I think uh there's things I just finished saying. I think Belanga uh there's things he can work on and he's got what, twenty some fights. This kid's got three fights? Yep. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, Ken. There's a couple of <laughs> things, you know, uh he could still work on uh, to to get to where he wants to get to. Uh, I first thing I would point out for anyone who would be disappointed in him fighting this guy and going ten rounds, if if anyone else there was disappointed, uh, his opponent besides having sixteen pro fights versus his two, 
not an easy opponent to look good against, Zamaripa. You know, he's tall, long. He used his legs on the outside. He moves, then he picks spots suddenly to punch. Not an easy guy, you know, really to A, to look good with, and B, to to fight. Um, yeah. and, he, and, and what made it even more difficult, Zamaripa, because of that style, he doesn't engage you much. He, he fights very defensively. Uh, looking to survive uh, a lot of times. Uh, like I said, changing range, making you constantly, you know, where the pressure's on you to constantly try to close the gap. He was very, Cruz was very patient. He didn't reach in, he didn't fall in. His, he took the little steps uh, very under control all the time. Didn't fall into those uh where, where a lot of guys would have fell into being over-anxious. He didn't let that happen. He kept his defense tight, moving his head, taking little steps, you know, gradually getting to the, you know, closing the gaps. Um, I thought in the sixth round, he started to catch up to Zamaripa, you know, closing the gaps more and more. Um, I like the way that he's he's got that explosive ability with his legs to close gaps really quickly. Uh, which he did with the lead right hand a couple times against his southpaw. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit more educated with his combinations, uh, expand on his his repertoire, if you will, where he you know where he's got a more of a variety, um, where he can develop more of a variety of placing punches in different areas, where. You know, you're you're placing them to very specific areas, depending on the situation, instead of just throwing them. Sometimes I see, you know, he's got quick hands. Sometimes I see where Ken, he's just throwing the punches, you know, letting them go. And, you know, nothing bad. But for a guy like this that I think the uh, sky is the limit, uh, let somebody start teaching him how to, again, throw more educated combinations that have uh have have destinations already figured out where they where you want those destinations to be instead of just throwing the punches and and figuring it out you know on the spur of the moment uh yeah uh, instinctively so i'd like to see that i'd also like to see him incorporate some uh a little bit more fainting. Matter of fact, I don't think I saw any fainting where, you know, he's going to put pressure on guys, faint the guy a little bit, uh, you know, and move them into positions. You can you can then find, you know, you can find, uh, you can find a, a cleaner opening with, uh, you know, force them to, you know, disrupt their rhythm a little bit with a faint, um, you know, as I said, get them into positions that you want to get them into, that those sparkling fast hands can then go do their job a little bit more efficiently. I, I'd like to see, at the end of the day, I am not being critical. I'm being a trainer. Um, I'm, I'm being greedy because I see, I'm, I'm, I'm being like a guy that uh, would would be someone who makes um, uses his hands to create 
busts and create, you know, statues and stuff uh, where I would see a perfect, perfect piece of clay and say, oh my God, let me get my hands on that piece of clay and mold it into another Michelangelo, you know, uh, whatever, uh, mold it into something special. As a trainer, I look at a kid like this and I say, yeah, I'd like to see, you know, these things come out where you can mold this kid into another, which he's on his way anyway, to being as special as special can be. So again, don't take me when I'm saying this out there as being critical in any way. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm giving them nothing but accolades and, you know, kudos for, for where he's come from, where he is, where he's going. I, I'm just pointing out for my, again, from my, for my place and my perspective where these are a couple of the things that he'll probably want to work on. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to see the clock ticking to see when does he, when, <laughs> when does he fight for the title? Not if. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, Rigandau, you you pointed out he did win uh, two golds, 2000 and 2004. Actually, from 2000 to 2005, he won everything. World champ, whatever was going on, the Olympics, the world championships, at bantamweight and the amateurs in the early 2000s, no one else was winning anything. Um, you know what? Right, let's get you know how the... I knew that, Kent? How's that? I was there when he won those gold medals. Corner of fights for NBC. Yeah, <laughs> I saw him win his first one. If the age was right, who knows? Over in Cuba, sometimes they don't have the proper uh, certificates and and birth certificates. Yeah. You don't know, but <laughs> but that's right. Uh, supposedly, I saw him when he really came out in his first Olympic Games. I called his fights, and um, he was eighteen. He might have been younger. I don't know, but he was yeah. he was eighteen at that point. And and I'll tell you something that is probably going to get a little bit of attention when I say this, but uh, he was the best amateur I ever saw live. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He was the best amateur I ever saw live, ever. And I've seen a lot. And, and look, I've seen other ones on tape. But to see him live, I was like, whoa. This was a, a guy, a southpaw, um, that he didn't waste. You know how you hear the saying, you don't waste anything? Yeah. But this guy didn't drop a crumb to the floor. I mean, even a pause, like like those little birds when you eat outdoors, you know those little birds, <laughs> chicken, chicken, those little chicken yeah. birds that come around, they grab the little tiniest like micro piece of bread that you might drop, you might not even be able to see yeah. it, and they pick, there'd be no birds around him when he's eating. None, none, because they would starve to death. Because he, <laughs> he, he wasted nothing. I mean, everything he threw, he was in position, and it landed. And uh, and he he was maybe one of the best pure counter punches I had ever. I never saw a counter punch that could win so easily. A counter puncher that could win on the Olympic on the amateur level at the top elite amateur level so easily being purely a counterpuncher for the most part 
because usually those guys would get beat because the other guys would out hustle them and the judges wouldn't see you know the counter punches and they wouldn't judge it that way and they they get robbed of decision not this kid not the <laughs> you saw everything because it was so clean it was so clear he was one of the purest counter he might have been the purest counter punch i ever saw at that level and wow add in body puncher tremendous body puncher and he could punch he had power on top <laughs> of all that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's a shame that he doesn't get recognized. I caught a lot of his fights coming up on ESPN when he was coming up uh, on Friday Night Fights and everything else I was doing. But it's a shame he doesn't get his... He gets it, but I don't know if he gets his due and his flowers, if you will, Um to the level that he really deserves it because at the end he was old you know he was old yeah. and he's fighting guys right. where he was really old and uh, not quite uh, what, what the guy that i that i saw obviously yeah interesting oh that was great all right let's jump into the ufc yaya rodriguez brian ortega this was an interesting fight i honestly thought after the first round rodriguez looked to be ahead fairly easily and i was thinking man ortega was like a split second away from being the damn champion remember he had um our man volkanovsky in that like mounted um guillotine choke i mean just he was a split second for being the champion i thought rodriguez was taking him apart at the first round but my god ortega showed incredible heart and toughness to turn it around win the second round with with uh pure jujitsu and then in the third, to just almost effortlessly take Rodriguez down, ground and pound him, and then transition almost it, – it, it, it looked too easy the way he transitioned into that uh, arm triangle choke and then just got off to the side and sink, sunk it in as tight as you can get it. And it was, it was, it was beautiful to watch if you're a jiu-jitsu player, hard to watch if you're a Rodriguez fan because it didn't look like he offered much up, much resistance once he went for that choke. How would you like it? You know, I have to start here, where you you said it right. Extraordinary toughness. We see it with all these UFC. With, you know, it's all levels, always is, but we see all of them. If you're not tough, you have no business applying for work at the <laughs> UFC. Uh, like applying or, for work as a plumber and never having uh, turned off the water in a house. Yeah, or, or you... You have a problem with with water, with with puddles, you know. Uh, so his resiliency, his toughness, his you know the his that level of toughness won the fight for him, and his level of jujitsu and you know his skill levels in those areas too. But really, it was his it was his mental. What we talk about so often. It was the mental aspect of it. It was his level of mental toughness, and and not just toughness, but ability to just believe that he'd find a way. Because it it's it was shown, and he was tested in that area, not during the fight only, but before the fight started. When he was jumping up in the air to warm up, 
Oh, I forgot to, I forgot to mention Ken, that. Yeah. Ken. Crazy. He comes down. And we've seen it, these crazy things. We've seen it in basketball. I've, I saw it in the Olympics in, in hockey and in skating where uh, a guy was skating in a warm-up and he did something crazy in a warm-up and next thing you know, his ankle's broke. He, he's out of the game. He, he ain't yeah. literally doing warm-up, doing warm-up. You know, make, it makes you think about Allen Iverson with that, with that, that line. Remember? Uh, practice? Yeah. Practice? Yeah. We're talking about practice? <laughs> you know, and... and uh, yeah. And the, and the coach, who Jim Mora. Practice? We're talking about practice here? Playoffs! <laughs> playoffs! playoffs. playoffs. <laughs> so, here... That was funny. <laughs> he, he jumped up in the air, for the people that didn't see it, to warm up, literally as his name's being introduced, and he comes down and twists his ankle. You can see it. The ankle buckled. Bad. Bad. Twisted it back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and like I said, crazy. we've seen these crazy things. I seen an NBA player one time uh, doing warm ups on the court before the game. He got hurt. He's out. Uh, we've seen it in the NFL where a guy literally was warming up, uh, uh, ankle or something, out, not playing. I mean, just crazy. People are like they can't believe, like a a non, you know, a non competitive injury, a a non. Compact, uh, not what do they call that? A non my non contact injury. Yeah, yeah. My son is always telling me about those that happen in practice sometimes. You know, in NFL, which is the scariest thing to happen, but it happened. And then I think of Tony Ferguson right before he was due to fight Khabib, like the day before he tripped on a, a wire during a production shoot. You know, a, a camera wire and blew his knee out, uh, and the trouble. fight was off the day. But before. this, but this one happened seconds before. <laughs> it was crazy. And, 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 you know, and what does he do? He goes in and has to, not only has to go in there compromised, he goes in there, first thing before I even get there, I have to laugh because the mentality of a coach, because I've been there. I could, I just could imagine because he touched on it. It was pretty funny. He touched because it's so real. Ken, it's so real. Yeah. He touched on it afterwards. Yeah. He said, I looked at my coach, and my coach said, don't even talk. Hey, forget it. Don't even talk. Don't, I don't even want to hear it. <coughs> you're, you're, get over it. Get over it. It ain't stopping you. We ain't even talking about it. Like, I, yeah, at that point, I, I had to laugh when I heard him say that after a fight. I said, yeah, I understand. I understand exactly where he put that coach, uh, the pressure he put on the coach, uh, you know, too, besides obviously himself. But not only does he get compromised with that twisted ankle, then he goes in there with an explosive guy like Rodriguez, really dangerous guy. Both of these guys have lost to Volkanovski. And he goes in there, and Volk and Rodriguez is so explosive, so yeah. unpredictable. Ken, his style is is really hard to deal with. He moves, That's then right. he stops, he strikes, he kicks, and he's explosive in all dimensions and unpredictable, yeah. unexpected. So he catches Ortega, you know, moving, moving. Then he catches him from the southpaw position. He catches him a straight left hand and uh, as a strike, drops Ortega. Uh, I think he dropped him twice in a round. Gets on him, ground yep. and pounds, busts his nose up, ground and pounds Ortega. I mean, it, to me, it was a 10-8 round. And I don't know how they scored it. I yeah, mean, exactly. 
I was thinking the same thing. Ortega kind of reversed it right towards the end of the round, but I was thinking the same thing. Like, wow, 10 8. And Ortega's face after that round and after the fight was a damn mess. I mean, he took shots. But, but see, I'm glad you brought that up. At, at the end, at the end of the round, he, I mean, dominant round, 10 8 round for, you know, uh, for Rodriguez. But then, just, and, and I think it was the difference in the fight, but at the very end of the round, Ortega gained what I thought was much needed confidence uh, on the mat, you know, by by getting him on the mat. Um, uh, he, uh, I'm trying to remember because I'm looking at my notes to I don't want to be off, but um, he grounded pound him. He avoided the uh, he he Rodriguez to his credit he avoided the triangle hold by T City um, when T City got him to the ground. But T City Ortega, of course, who's famous for the for for that triangle hold that he yep. that he gets most people out of there except Volkanovski. Uh, which was extraordinary on Volkanovski's part that he survived that and then wound up winning. But th- the end there, Ortega getting to the mat gained him really, really uh, just such needed confidence after a terrible first round, spraining his ankle, the whole thing. It gave him just what he needed. You know, more important than the water he was going to get when he went back, you know, to the corner. More important than any, you know, any speech he was going to get, which is very important. Just getting a chance to stabilize things and to get to his geography place at the end of the first round was so important. It it, it really was. It was, it was kind of like, uh, it was like a guy in a gun, gun battle and and he's been wounded and and um just before he gets into he gets off the street you know into a a place uh, of safety for a minute uh somebody gives him another clip to reload uh, you know where he where he was pretty much out of bullets and he gets a chance to reload uh he's been shot he's been injured but now he's got a little bit of uh you know, a, a protective place that he can rest, and and he's got more bullets for the chamber. That's that's how I looked at it. He he needed that. And second round, Ortega, his corner did a great job. They told him to come out backing up Rodriguez, not giving him the space because I really related to that because I related to where we I have a fight of boxing somebody who's unorthodox, who's unpredictable, who's all over the freaking place, drive you crazy, and you can't lay back on him because then he'll, he'll pick spots to, you know, to to be unpredictable, to come out of nowhere, bang, boom. You got to put some pressure, smart pressure, behind a jab, tucked up defensively, but you got to back him up. You got to put pr- pressure. You can't leave him the space to just do as they do. And... I saw that. You could see it right away where the corner of, of Ortega told him, back the guy up, you know, behind the champ. And he did that. He didn't give him the range, you know, to, 
to explode on him. And then he got he got him to the mat. And um of course he'll take on the mat is like a fish in water. You know, now he can breathe. You know, now now he you know, now he can he can do what he has to do. Um but Rodriguez survived it on his back without taking too much damage. I had it one one after two rounds. Um but the first round, like I said, was uh, for me it was a ten eight round for Rodriguez. At least I thought it was. The second round, great comeback round for Ortega. Um, like I said, third round, Ortega again. He got the geometry that he wanted on the floor, on the mat, and he finished him. Uh, just great, great, great comeback for him after that first round. Beautiful, masterful submission. Obviously on the mat, uh, he he's just so good and dangerous on the floor. Again, great job. As I said earlier, showed great courage and toughness, perseverance. Uh, uh, my God, sprains his ankle, uh, warming up, <laughs> and then he goes and you know you're already going. I mean, can you imagine that, Ken? You you're already <laughs> going into the den with the lion, right? That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. You know what I mean? You're checking, you're saying, okay, do I have my knife? Uh, you know, am, am I alert? Did I slap myself in the face a couple times? Because when I walk in there, the lion, <laughs> the lion's going to start being a lion. You know, and, uh, and then uh, just before you walk into the cage, you, you, you lose your knife, it drops, and it goes right, and it goes right into your foot. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, yeah, that's right. It, it stabs your foot. And, and yeah. Oh, oh. Anyway, what a again, what a I, I thought it was just another besides the the fight and learning about people and giving you another lesson in human nature and how strong we can be if we if we dare to gear ourselves uh and mandate ourselves to be that strong, which most people never do, never do. And never could do or would even dream about doing what it takes to do that. But I just thought on top of all that, it was like a billboard for UFC of of why these guys, why we watch them and why they're special. You know, it was like, Ortega, it was a billboard. Ortega was on the billboard. You know, I sprained my freaking ankle and then I, you know, I could. I, I'm trying to walk. I'm walking gimp like a gimp on gimply on it, and and I'm still going into the lion's cage. Yep. Well, that was an awesome fight. Super entertaining. Let's talk main event. Uh, Brandon Moreno against Roy Val for the second time. Roy Val gets a split decision, razor close decision. I think it could have gone either way. Personally, uh, Roy Val gets revenge after losing that last second TKO loss to the Moreno in the first fight. But man, these guys, these guys are so good. The margin for error is so small, and um, yeah, I just love this one. How'd you like the fight? Yeah, it was a rematch because the first fight, uh, Royval, as you said, got hurt, injured his shoulder at the end of the first round. So this was very important to Royval, important to both fighters. Uh, Marino coming off a loss to Pantanjo. Am I saying it right? He lost his title to. Um, 
Pantoja. Pantoja. He lost his title to him, who's a great fighter. Unbelievable. And Marino's a great fighter. And he's lost titles. He's gotten the titles back. You know, he, he beat the great Figueroa a couple times. I mean, he's he's fought all monsters. He's a monster. Uh, he's a babyface assassin. You know, he's he's been on our show. He's I, I love him. He's very special. And uh, But Roy Val, before the fight started, I looked and I just made a note to myself. He is really locked in mentally. Because this fight, I'm not saying it meant more to him than Moreno, but I'm going to say it did in some ways, on some on some avenues. Moreno came in as a huge favorite, I forgot to say, too. Yeah. Biggest favorite of his career. And I, I think I said last second of, of the fight. I meant in the first fight, Moreno, like you said, one in literally with one second left in the first round. If I, if I misspoke earlier, no, no, I apologize. That's you, I think you said it right. Look, Roy Val... Again, I, I just looked at him. I I'm, you, I look for things. And I looked and I said, wow, this guy is mentally locked in. Let's see. Let's find out now if he's as locked in as I think he is. And he was. Um, I I thought at the end of the day, like I said, we love Marino. He's been on our show. I love close fight. I, I thought Roy Val earned it. Close. Close. First round, I'll give you my breakdown. Marino moved laterally more than I've seen him do, I'll be honest with you, for the most part. He moved laterally a lot, like a boxer, looking for the proper entry point, uh, keeping Royval from really getting set. Uh, Royval southpaw, the key for me, he's always using that southpaw jab, that right-hand jab, the lead jab, from the southpaw position. Ken, that's his key. He is always throwing it out there for a couple reasons. One, to control range. Two, to keep you busy. And three, to set up other things. To set up other punches, other kicks, other 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 parts of offense. But he's always, 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 always using it. He is a pain in the you-know-what. Where... I was, I was, I was saying this guy, that jab is like being at a picnic with a freaking swarm of mosquitoes that just don't go away. They they don't do damage the way that a swarm of wasps would, for example. But God, they ruin your picnic. They ruin the day. They don't let you freaking concentrate on what you want to concentrate on, like eating food. Uh, they, uh, you're swatting at them, and now while you're swatting at them, other things are happening, and that—that's—that's that's what was happening for the whole night against Marino. That that jab, controlling range, keeping him busy, annoying him, making it hard for him to to get his settings, to get his rhythm. That is that is the crux. The, the center of what Roy Val does to make everything else mean something. Um, I thought Roy Val was, he, he was cutting the ring down, uh, using that long jab in the first round. As, as I said, Marino was moving. Uh, he just kept pouring, pour, and pouring, and pouring with that jab. Uh, Marino picked spots. While he was moving, trying to, 
He was trying to force Roy Val into reaching and making a mistake. Um, Roy Val did a good job of not getting over anxious. He used kicks really well. Um, I thought he might have taken the first round. So I had it one nothing Roy Val. Um, maybe. Very close. Very close. Second round, Roy Val uses uh, the lead kicks really well. Beautiful strike uh, in the second round with the right hand by Marino. Right hands land against southpaws. Uh, sometimes he landed a nice right hand. Uh, he set it up beautifully. He bent low and he landed it high. Roy Val was consistent with his southpaw jab again. That's him. Uh, but the halfway point of the second, uh, I thought Roy Val set up a nice counter. Uh, and he was doing a good job of keeping Marino busy. Again, with that, with that pain in the neck, right-hand jab. Uh, Marino landed some clean strikes. I thought he landed the harder uh, hits uh, than Roy Val. But like I said, Roy Val did a good job with the kicks. Um, but then Marino got Roy Val to the mat. Uh, very close second round. I'll go with Marino. But again, very close. So third round, Marino moving again, looking for spots to enter. Again, that long jab of Roy Val, always there. Marino had him on the mat for a second. Uh a low kick on Marino in the third. Um, low kick uh, landed on Marino in the third. Good counter right hand uh, by Marino. But again, just more quantity of punches. Nice combinations by Roy Val. His quantity was was going up against, I guess you would say, the, the heart of strikes when he did land of Marino uh, but Royval was busier never again never stops with that right jab I gave the third round to Royval uh, control range pretty well fourth round I thought it was a big round Royval came out very busy aggressive trying to really take control of the fight Again, the jab of Roy Vows, like you know, like I said, it's always there. Um, he hurt Marino uh, at some point in the fourth round. Started landing cleaner and more often. I thought Roy Val at the end of the fourth, for as much as you could be in control for a very close fight, was uh, was in control. Um, Fourth round to Roy Val. I thought it came down to the fifth round. I thought that Marino needed a big fifth round, or you know he was going to be you know he was he was going to be in risk of losing losing the fight. Uh, I thought that I'm trying to read my own handwriting here. <laughs> I thought that Roy Val came out in that fifth. Again, leading, also mixing in some nice counters. He went well to the body. I thought he was in control. Uh, I thought there was a good right hand 
early by Marino in the fifth round. Marino was smart. He slowed down the pace of Roy Val by pinning him on the cage. Uh, but then when there was separation again, Roy Val was busy again, uh, controlling the range with his jab, controlling the pace of the fight. I thought that in spots at least, he was he was in charge. A close fight, but he was in charge. Uh, Marino again slowed it down by taking him to the cage. Uh, Marino landed a couple big shots in the last minute, but again, it came down to quantity versus quality. Um, Roy Val was, was much the busier guy. Uh, I was thinking to myself, did Marino steal the fifth round with, with fewer, harder shots versus the larger quantity by Roy Val? Very close. Uh, like I said before, I favored Roy Val, and, and you gotta always, you know, obviously you gotta say what you really believe. Otherwise, you have no reputation. Um, I, I'd love to say I had it for Mar for Marino because I've, you know, have a little. I don't know the other guy. He might be the greatest guy in the world, but I know Marino. He's been on the show. Uh, I was, you know, in that kind of way. I was rooting for him. But I thought Roy Val, I thought Roy Val took the fight, and um, you know, the third, fourth round for me, and then maybe maybe eking out the fifth round, or possibly a possibly an even round. Um, I just thought that one judge, you know, we always talk about the problems with judging in boxing. One judge, who the hell was he? He had it way too big for Marino. I mean, no matter yeah. no matter who you thought won or didn't win, there's no way that anyone should have had a scorecard like like he did uh, yeah. for Marino. That was absurd. Getting that home cooking in Mexico City. Yeah, I mean, uh, I almost wonder if some of those judges feel like they want. They, they, I think at times they give the decision that they think that the promoter might want. Given the fight in Mexico, maybe they're thinking, oh, I'll bet you the UFC wants Moreno. He's very marketable. You know what I mean? I wonder if that comes into play and they want to get invited back to the next card. Yeah, but then you're not a pro. Then you've compromised. And then uh, there's a – what you just described is a human – obviously a, a, a possibility of a human nature um, temptation that – contempt people they want to be comfortable they want to be liked they don't want to be the guy in a foreign hostile environment if you will that that doesn't go for the for the favored guy the guy that everyone wants to all of that is can be human quality but at the end of the day there's something called character that is supposed right. to you know is supposed to overcome that supposed to it's a That's big right. word big yep. word supposed to <laughs> big word but it's supposed to <laughs> overcome that. So what you just described, which is very likely impossible when it happens, is a nice way of saying the guy's corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I said it. There. There it is. I said it. Good. Go go ahead out there, you you whatever you people are in your underwears in the basement. And go ahead. Go and have fun. Go and have fun. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> well, that that does it for the UFC. Let's jump over to um, 
boxing, obviously a lot of big announcements coming up and have come out. But one of the ones, one of the fights that's supposedly being talked, I don't know, I don't think it's been finalized, but um, Alex Vosnick against David Benavidez for the interim WBC title. I want to get your thoughts on the fight, but I also want to talk to you about this very strange nuance of Better Beav is the WBC champ, has never lost. He's active. He has a fight on the calendar. What in the hell is the WBC doing giving out an interim title fight? Just like they're just making it up as they go. And, and needless to say, Better Beav's, I think his trainer, John Scully, was like incredulous about it and called out Suleiman on um, when when um, Suleiman, uh, the president of the WBC, John Scully, just, just we want to always be John. clear here. He's not yeah. his main trainer. I think he works with Better Beef sometimes, but his yeah. main trainer, the guy from Canada, he deserves credit. I don't want to take anything away from that guy because he does a hell of a job. He's got a hell of a reputation in Canada. He's probably the top trainer in Canada or has the reputation of being with the top fighters in Canada. Uh, he's he's the guy. He's the main guy. Um, I, I maybe you have his name there. I can't think of his name offhand. Yeah, I'm gonna get it for you. Um, but but uh, alongside uh, Mark Ramsey, yeah, is is um, Mark Ramsey is the main guy. But I mean, for, before we get to the possible fight, what do you think about this? I mean, are you as surprised as I am that they would announce an interim title while Better Beev is active and the current champ undefeated? Like what? and fighting potential unification fight against uh, Bevel coming up in June? Ken, nothing at the WBC, or for that matter, any of these, really, of these organizations do shocks me anymore. And not, none of it shocks me anymore. Uh, if they, you know, I mean... Um, if they went into the ring in the middle of the fight and said, uh, you know, we, we're not letting this fight continue because we think our guy might get beat uh, and we might not be able to rob him <laughs> because he might get stopped. We're going to stop it right now under some, uh, on, on some kind of, you know, murky rule that we have uh, somewhere. Well, where's the rule? Well, we have it. We'll show it to you tomorrow. We, we don't have it available today. But if they were to do something, and I know I'm talking in an absurdity here, I get it, but I'm purposely talking in an absurdity here because that's that's the belief and confidence I have in these organizations. None. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I have a lot of belief and confidence in these organizations to do the wrong thing, to do the thing that doesn't make sense, to do the thing that makes sense for them, whether it's an allegiance because they're getting a lot of you know, money from the guy and, and their sanctioning fees. They have a good relationship with the guy. Uh, you know, they have a that kind of situation, which, you know, they all look for the sanctioning fees. It's always about, you know, follow the money. Um, there, there's a reason why, you know, why Canelo um, could go inactive for, you know, probably 14 years and, and still probably keep a title. Or, or you know, uh, Charlo, uh, what, uh, the 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 bigger Charlo was inactive for what two and a half years, and he he didn't yep. get any strip tease done to him. That's done to other fighters. <laughs> you know, there's a strip tease done to other fighters, not to him. You know, and 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 there's a there's a long list of them that that I can't even go down right now. So, the it's not on the up and up. 
they make up their rules. They do whatever's convenient for for their business, for for their you know salvation, for you know uh, for something that's gonna keep them uh, in the black instead of the red when it comes to making money. You know, it's it's not complex. It's simple. You know, it's it's they have the ability to do it. They do whatever's going to serve them and, and serve the people that they want served. So, you know, it takes away from the credibility. It hurts other fighters. It takes away from the credibility of the sport. I, that's why I'm still fighting for a national commission, which you guys uh, could go out, uh, look, Ken could tell you how to find it, uh, and, and sign the petition if, if you feel yeah, so inclined. Yeah, the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, if you <laughs> feel so inclined. But look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they are getting ahead of themselves a little bit, but um, right now in the light heavyweight, you got Bevo and be better be of tremendous fight, tremendous fight, tremendous fight, and the only reason it's being made, it's got nothing to do with the organizations. It's got a, something to do with a guy named Turkey Alashika as the head of sports and whatever other part of his title is over in Saudi Arabia. Is throwing, you know, is throwing a unworldly amount of money uh, all over the place. You know, you got an unworldly amount of money where everywhere where you live in a place, Ken, wherever you, where you walk, you walk on top of money. There's, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's a lot of money, Sam. A lot of money. Everywhere you walk, there's money. It's called oil. And everywhere they walk, there's oil under their feet. And, and they're able, and, and look, I, I, I call things as they are, that I think they are. If, I remember there was a point before where people, Ken, was, was trying to say, oh, this guy should be the face of Pac. Oh, no, this guy should be the face of Pac. No, Turkey Alashika is the face of boxing right now, uh, whether you like it or not, because these fights fights that couldn't be made because the promoters were too greedy to get together to make them there wasn't enough money for them to to you know to 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 satisfy them to, they couldn't have complete control and have all the money so they said no uh, you know the only way that the promoters get it done they got enough money the only way they get it done over here if if you got fights that you want, but there are different promoters have the fighters, and they got to go across the street to make the fight, and they don't want it. The only way it happens is like when, like a Pacquiao and Mayweather happen, but it happened way too late, five years too late. That's the problem. Now some of these fights are happening because of uh, Turkey Alashika, who who who's you know who's throwing ridiculous money uh, in order to to make them, and and we're the you know. We're the beneficiaries of getting these fights now before it's really too late. Uh, before it's really too late. Better be if he's 37, 38 years old. He's getting close to where it's it's going to become late a little bit. But I don't think he's there yet. Not the way he looked in his last. Not the way he looked in his last fight or so. So um, a, a very interesting fight. And then of course you got the super middleweights where. You would love to see, I would love to see a consolidation of the titles, just like they're doing in the light heavyweights. A lot of talented guys in the light heavyweights. I would like to see the same thing done at super middleweights, and that would mean Canelo and, and um, Benavides. That's what that would mean. 
that's what that was. But right now, Benefit has made an announcement. I guess that's what you're, you're, you want to talk about, Ken. He made an announcement yeah. that he's going to, I think they even made a date for what? For June? Where he will step up and fight uh, Alexander Volsic uh, for the right to fight the winner of Bevo and Better Beav. Am I am I laying that out the accurate way? That's ex- that, that's exactly right. That's what's being talked online and seems to have some credibility. I think, like I said, even Suleiman te- uh, uh, tweeted that out. Well, if you want my feelings about and, and it. Alex and Alex Alex online said that uh, terms have been agreed. So I don't think it's finalized, but it's, it seems to be very close. I'm sure it is. Look. If you want my feeling on it, my feeling is this. Give a lot of credit to Benavides. I don't know if he knows exactly what he's chewing off. Um, I might have a better idea than he does, being that I had trained uh, Vosik, but I give him a lot of credit that he's going to go up from, he's a big 168 pounds. I know. Get it. I get it. But he's going to go from that division where he's a dominant force. And he's beaten everyone there except Canelo pretty much. Um, he's a dominant force. Uh, he's going to go up now to another weight class, light heavyweight class, and take on a very dangerous, a very good, qualified, beyond qualified, a world champion opponent, a guy who was a world champion, his only loss, guy who was a bronze medalist from the Olympics, from the same camp as, as the great fighters Uzik and Lomachenko, from the same stable, he's going to go up to light heavyweight, again, take on a guy whose only loss was to better be if he was beating him going into the 10th round and he ran out of gas, uh, which is my fault. Um, which is, I, w- I would take responsibility for that. Um, he, he won't run out of gas. Uh, I don't believe now. I think he's, he's had a few years now, Volsic, to think about it, to, to form a certain resolve in him, to come back. Uh, and I think he's a dangerous guy. I, I I think he'll beat Benavides. Um, wow. Yeah, I think he'll beat him. I I, I love Benavides. Uh, the haters out there, go hate. You you know I don't give a crap about that. If I haven't proven anything in fifty years, in the, I should prove that I don't give a you know what, a rats you know what about what some of you people say. <laughs> I really don't, and I don't hear it anyway. So that helps because I am internet illiterate. So I don't hear it anyway. So you know. Like I said, go sit in your basement in your underwear and and uh, do whatever you got to do. But I I love Benavides. I think Benavides he he comes from boxing bloodlines. Um, he's a fighter to his core. He behaves like a fighter. He fights like a fighter. He fights the kind of style you love to watch: aggressive, strong, gets rid of guys, um, faces everybody in front of him. That that's there to face, proving it again. Believes in himself. 
his father's involved. He, like I said, he comes from bloodlines. You know, in 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 the sport, he's a uh, he's a guy that that he he, he depends. He, he fights a kind of pleasing style that anybody would enjoy, a physical style, and he blends it with with other things too. Uh, you know, he blends it obviously with things that top fighters have to blend it with, with technique and other things. I I think that he depends on his physicality, probably to a higher level uh, than 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 a lot of fighters would. Um, but he's he's obviously he's he's a guy that it's beyond what he does in a ring. He's driven by, I think, a sense of legacy. He's driven by wanting to prove before the clock runs out, wanting to find out. When I say the clock runs out, on we all get old. I think he wants to find out how good he could be. I think he really, truly wants to leave his mark on on and his legacy on boxing. And I think that's why he will take on such challenges. He believes that he had... You know, he'll beat uh, Vozik and then he'll be in line to fight the winner uh, of Better Be of Beevil and believes he'll win that. And that will be his his legacy uh, in the sport. Uh, I think he's connected to both Mexican and American heritage where he, he wants to leave his mark in both places uh, as, as a great American-Mexican fighter uh, with that great heritage of the great, great, great Mexican fighters, and obviously on the sport uh, overall as uh, an American fighter. Um, but I think that I don't know that he's aware. I don't know if he cares to be aware. Yeah, but I don't know exactly. if he's aware of what risk he's really taken with a naturally bigger guy. Again, a guy who was a world champion, a guy who. Uh, defended his world title, a guy who lost, uh, you know, only loss was to better be if after he was winning late into the fight. Uh, if he's not pre uh, prepared for that, uh, he would get a rude awakening. I'm sure he will be prepared for it because he's going in there with a guy who is going to, Give him fits, counterpunching the crap out of him, or looking to counterpunch the crap out of him when he comes forward. Also, will make will be able to push him back uh, in spots too uh, when he needs a, a guy who can use his legs to give angles to set traps. Um, but mostly a guy who a guy who believes he will beat him, a guy who's a fighter at core. Not not just a good boxer, not just a guy you know that has good skill sets and good technique, which he does. He's technically very sol solid, Vosik, but a guy who also has the same thing that that all top fighters have to have, and the same thing that Benavides has, and that Benavides knows he has and is dependent on. He's got a mental toughness, and a lot of people might. They might really miscalculate in that area. They they might really count him short in that area of how 
mentally strong and tough Vosik is and will be in this fight. And if he's if he's counting him short in that area, he's going to find out that he counted him short in that area. Again, I, I it's very early. I um I, 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 I for the haters out there, I'll finish with this again. I like I like Benavides the way I just stated it. I like the what he represents. I like the way he's overcome certain things in his life. I like the way that he fights. I like the way he behaves as a fighter. The the way that he that he's proud to be a fighter and he and he's not afraid to put that on the line in the ring against anybody. I I love him in those ways. Love him. I think he gets beat by Volsic. Interesting. Well, that was a thorough breakdown, Teddy. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is you mentioned that I was in uh, Austin. I've been traveling a lot. I was out in um, Eugene, Oregon, training with a guy called Cameron Haynes, who's a famous uh, bow hunter. And one of the things that I always pack when I'm traveling, athletic greens. Hey, before you go any further with those athletic greens, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, what was I watching? And, and I made a, I, I thought to myself, about you know the the product that both of us use and that Rob uses too, um, and by the way you know Rob, I, I'm talking about that you shouldn't count somebody short or judge somebody short. Rob gets judged too short here. You get all the accolades as the great marathoner, and you deserve them. You deserve them. your your time. You're the master world champion, fifty and over. But Rob, he's not chopped liver. All right, he, uh, nope, he ain't no nope. chopped liver. He he's a damn good. He's a, he's a marathon champion too. He won the uh, he won the Huntington Beach Marathon uh, last year or the year before. And um, two thirty marathoner. And he uses athletic greens. So obviously we're we're speaking. We're not just throwing stuff out there. We're we're speaking with that's right with with experience with what we're talking about and proof proof of the results that you get. And the thing I wanted to add in was I just happened during the fights, uh, the UFC fights the other night, I saw Athletic Greens uh, as part of the commercial. And, yep. and when I saw it, it, it made me think there's a lot of, of, of course, we're doing our part talking about it, but there's a lot of UFC fighters that also use that product. And it's, there's a, oh, yeah. it's not, a, you know, there's a reason. That's all. Third party, te- third party tested, uh, safe for sport. Uh, meaning no cross contaminations with any potential PEDs. This is uh, as clean a product as you're gonna get. It's the all-in-one green drink. You take a scoop, mix it with water in the morning. It tastes great. Drink it down. As I've always said, it's like your body's uh, insurance against uh, any compromises to your immune system. Especially when I'm traveling, I sometimes I'll take it twice a day in the morning and then after a uh, workout in the evening. But it's made from whole food sourced ingredients. Like I said, it's the green drink, uh, a green powder. Uh, they, I think they dealt. I think they worked with maybe seventy five, a hundred different doctors to develop this product, and it's made from seventy five whole food sourced ingredients. As I said, but this is the real deal. Get all your vitamins and minerals from real food sources. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas, and they'll send you 10 of the travel packs for free uh, with your first purchase. Again, athleticgreens.com slash atlas to take advantage of the 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Shout out to Athletic Greens. 
Um, Teddy, that's a thorough breakdown. We covered all the boxing and the UFC from the weekend, talked about some of the upcoming fights. You got anything else before we say goodbye? Um, let me think. Uh, no. Um, I think we <laughs> covered everything. I just want to tell everybody out there, uh, we, we talked a little bit about life. We always do. And we talked about society a little bit early on, you know, about some of the misfortunate parts of what's going on, very misfortunate parts about what's going on in society. Uh, we didn't get into political realms. We got into common sense realms. Um, That's it. And I'll leave with that. Use common sense. Forget about Democrat, Republican, uh, common sense. How do you want to live your life? You want to live your life in a, in, a, in a civil way, in a way where you treat people good and you get treated good? That, to me, everybody should be in that party. Whatever that party is, <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Uh, we say common sense, but then again, we get reminded that common sense ain't so common. So I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know if there's a name for that party. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a good old party of human race. Be 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 a part of the human race. Be a part of that the good part of the human race. Be a part of that party. That's all I would say. God that's bless right. everybody. All right guys, thanks for being with us. Please like and subscribe to the video on YouTube. We appreciate you guys and we'll see you next week. Have a great one everyone. <laughs>